We're so glad you're here. You must have heard Shane's teaching today. Well, surprise, it's me. <laughs> awesome. So in your notes today, in your notes today, if you turn to page 72, that's where we're going to be today. And uh, you can take notes along the way. And I trust that you will because I want you to go back and, and think about what was said today and uh, in your daily devotion. So I think you'll be blessed by that. So last week, Shane focused on the idea of seeking those things which are above. Did a great job in getting us to understand how important it is to seek what's above for our lives. And today, we're going to talk about how to um, change our behavior in our life. So I want to stop right now and ask a question. So do you have things in your life that you absolutely hate? I mean, honestly, just are there things in your life that you're going, why did I do, why do I do things? those kinds of things. We all do, right? Paul had them. Paul, who wrote most of the New Testament, had things in his life where he said, I don't understand why I do the things that I hate and why I don't do the things that I love. And so we all have things in our life that we're struggling with, and, uh, and it seems that just about the time I think I'm getting better, I'm not. And so today, we're going to talk about how do we change that in our lives and I think I'm going to surprise you by what I say because I'm going to tell you what doesn't work. What doesn't work is trying harder. What doesn't work is not praying more. Those things may be great. They may be good things. But that's not what changes behavior in our life. And I'm going to show you something today that, in my opinion, the vast majority of Christians don't know how to do or what to do. And uh, if you are interested in looking at how do I change the things in my life that I really detest, then you're in the right place today because I think Colossians is going to speak to you today and uh, I hope and pray that he does. So I've broken this sermon down into three parts and uh, so we're going to just talk about those three parts. You'll see how it unfolds in just a minute. But my first, the first thing that I want you to see is out of the book of Colossians, is my brand new identity that I have in Jesus. The moment I say yes to Jesus, I have a brand new identity. He, he grants me this new identity, and I want to show you that from the Scripture, and I want to show you how that drives a lot of things that you would that, uh, you'd be surprised by. So in Colossians 3.12, that's where we're going to begin today. In your notes, it's page 72. He says, Paul says, put on then... As God's chosen ones. Now stop there for just a second. I want you to notice how Paul addresses the church at Colossae and how he, how he is instructing them. He says, put these things on. He's going to tell you what, he's going, what you're supposed to put on in just a minute. But I want you to notice what he calls you and I as believers. He calls us chosen ones. That's a brand new identity that you and I have. You and I were chosen for his glory and for his honor, according to the book of Ephesians, before the foundation of the earth, before God created anything on this planet, you were a choice that God made. And that is something that is so powerful and so important for me to understand. So then, as God's chosen ones, by the way, you might want to circle that word in your notes, chosen ones, those two words, and uh, because you might want to come back and think about that later. Put on then, as chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. And that's not the end of the list. He's just talking about some things, some behaviors that are very important. But here's the idea that I want you to see that what you and I are supposed to do is we're supposed to clothe ourselves with this brand new identity and out of that clothing comes a brand new way to behave. 
So this is what I'm gonna say probably five times today. And if you miss it, it's your fault, not mine, right? Amen, look, smile when I say that. Identity drives behavior. If you want to change your behavior, you don't work on changing your behavior, you work on changing your identity. And I'm gonna tell you, it works every time, and it is powerful, and it's amazing, and it is God's secret sauce. I'm telling you right up front, this is God's secret sauce as to how he changes a person's life. You change a person's life, you change your life, you, you, you're able to stop doing the things that you hate and start doing the things that you love when you see yourself in a different light, when you begin to see yourself in the light of God's truth. I'm telling you, what most of us in, our, in this room need to work on is not on trying to change our behavior, but change, on our, change our view of ourselves, of how we see ourselves in light of God's redemptive work in your life, in light of God's choice for you. It's the secret sauce of Christianity. And I'm gonna tell you, a lot of people just, you know, they just try harder. I'm just gonna turn over a new leaf. I mean, I, I know I shouldn't have done that last night, but I, I, I'm gonna get better. And I'm just I'm simply saying, you're not getting better. You'll never get better by focusing on your behavior. In fact, what I'm gonna suggest is that probably is gonna make you worse. What's gonna make you better is when you see your identity the way God sees you, no more and no less, it's so powerful, and no matter how much success you have in life, our identity is not tangled in our wins and our losses. Our identity comes through Christ and him alone. And what he says about who I am, that I am the righteousness of God in him, that I am his son, that I, by adoption, and that I, I am chosen and that I, and that I have an inheritance coming. That's my identity. And as I see that identity, it causes me to live in a different way. In February of 2022, Scotty Scheffler was uh, a 25-year-old player in the Masters. And uh, he had never won, he had never won big time in the tour. He was ranked 15th in the world, but he had never had any major wins. He was still seeking his first victory on on this, in, the, on the, in the Masters Tour, and on Sunday, April 10th, Scheffler became the Masters champion, put on the green coat. Many of you know what that looks like. Well, you've probably seen it on TV. You don't probably know what it looks like. And in a press conference after his victory, uh, sporting his new green jacket, he was asked how he balances his desire to compete, his fierce desire to compete, with not letting it define his life of how he lives his life? Great question, right? Because it takes a fierce drive to win the Masters. Hours of practice. You've got to really want it badly. How does, how does a person then not that, let that become the consuming factor in our lives? His answer was brilliant and powerful, and he opened up to this press and he tells the world about his personal faith in Jesus. And this is what he says, the reason I play golf is I'm try I am trying to glorify God and all that he has done in my life. I live out of a new nature, I live out of a new, a new identity. For me, my identity isn't a golf score. That's so profound. Because some of you are basing your identity around a marriage, a divorce, a failure, a victory, and I'm telling you, none of those things define who you are. 
And if you let those things define who you are, you're going to, be, you're going to lose all the time because they cannot define you. And that's what he's saying here. That's, he's saying, I do not let my identity be defined by a golf score. It's impossible. That, that, I, I can never win that way. And uh, he, says, I'm, he says that my wife said to me before I got here today, uh, something very profound. He says, if you win this golf tournament today, if you lose this golf tournament today, I'm going to love you the same. God is going to love you the same. Nothing is going to change. You're going to be loved by the Father. You're going to be loved by your family. And nothing changes at all. And then he says to the press, he says, all I did is step up and live to the glory of God. Whether I won or lost was not the issue. The issue was, am I living out my new nature and my new identity in Jesus Christ? So here's the thing. If you're struggling with a particular sin, if you're struggling with lust or, or drunkenness or sexual issues, if you're struggling with any of those things, I'm telling you by focusing on the struggle, you intensify the battle that Satan has against you. If you, start, if you focus on your identity in Jesus Christ, and I'm telling you, listen to me, the vast majority of Christians don't understand what I'm saying to you right now. So they focus on trying to be better instead of on their identity. And as a result, they, go, they get nowhere. So identity, this is what I want you to hear me say loud and clear. I want you to wake up in a nightmare this week going, my identity drives my behavior. That was a joke, okay? Come on, lighten up. Come on, lighten up. So my identity drives my behavior. Though. So then what kind of behavior does God want to drive in my life? So Colossians answers that for us as well. So let's talk about then my new behavior that's driven out of my new identity. And before I get there, I want you to know this isn't something I focus on. This is the product of living a life where I'm clothing myself in the fact that I have this new identity. So my new behavior. There are three major issues here in my new identity, in my new behavior. First of all, I am to pursue the fullness of peace. That is shalom. That's driven, out of my, that's driven out of my identity. Be a bridge builder in a world of fallen walls. You and I live in a world that's hostile, right? So <clears throat> work to bring social, economic, multi-ethnic shalom into your life, into your family, into your community. That's what people who are, that's what people who have the identity of Christ do. Shalom is not just the absence of conflict. It is the presence of wholeness and harmony and life as it ought to be, life as it should be. That's what shalom means. So when I have the right identity, shalom flows out of my life in a way that I bring peace wherever I go. I bring peace to my family, to my friends, to my church, to wherever I go. So then he starts in verse 13. He said, when you're, when you're having this new identity, this is what happens. Bearing with one another, if, if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so also you must forgive and above all these things put on love which binds everything together in perfect harmony and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which indeed you were called into one body and be thankful. That is the product of a new identity in Christ. See, forgiveness is only hard when you're not living in your new identity. Anybody, anybody here struggled with forgiveness before? I need to forgive that person. I'm really struggling with it. When you're struggling with forgiveness is an evidence of something deeper in your life, that you're struggling really with who you are as a person. When you have, your, when you have the right identity, what happens is, is that forgiveness is the natural outflow of your life. Does that make sense? Come on now. Yes. 
Otherwise, it's just going to be hard. The second thing Paul says is pursue the fullness of the word. I, I saw this phrase on a wall that I thought was really interesting. This is what it says. Those who hear not the music think the dancer is mad. So let me translate that into plain English. Have you ever noticed how weird it is that if you don't hear music and people are dancing, it just looks weird? I mean, you think about dancing is kind of a weird thing anyway, right? I mean, I'm not talking about slow dancing. I'm talking about, you know, out on the dance floor, you know, you know doing whatever you do out there. Who knows what you do? But I'm just saying whatever you do, that's, you know, I, I'm just, that's what I'm talking about there, okay? And you take, you walk into a, you know, you walk into a room and you put, you know, earphones on, sound deafening earphones, and you can't hear any music and you're just watching people move to the music. It's just weird. I mean, just saying, just, that's just a weird concept, right? And it doesn't make sense until you, until you take off the earphones and you can hear the music. That's when dancing makes sense. And so just, you know, just so you know, to my Baptist friends out there, uh, I'm not saying you shouldn't dance, okay? I'm just saying it looks weird when there's no music, okay? Don't misunderstand what I'm saying. If, you know, if you, were, if you had a time machine and you were transported from the 1700s, 1600s into our modern day and, and you ended up in a disco uh, place and, and, uh, and you had, you know, your headset on and you couldn't hear the music, you'd go, wow, this is really a strange place. What are these people doing, jerking? And, you know, I, I don't know. You know, what are they doing? So here's what I want you to see. This is so good. So don't miss this with, with this is just so good. For the believer, for the believer, Jesus is our music. And without Jesus, our life isn't going to make sense. So I pursue the fullness of his word. I'm really pursuing the fullness of Jesus Christ himself. And when, when that happens, it all makes sense. But here's how the world sees us. The world doesn't hear the music of Jesus. So when they see our behavior, they, they, they just think we're weird. You don't do that. You don't go get drunk. You, you don't do this. You don't do that. And they just think it's weird behavior because they can't hear the music of Jesus himself. So my friends, listen carefully. What God calls you to do is move to the music of Jesus. He is the one who changes life. Verse 16 says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So pursue the fullness of his word, and that's the music that we dance to. That's the music that we move to. Then pursue the fullness of relationships. Now, we're gonna get into some difficult passages of scripture, so I want you to smile at me before I go any further. I want you to tell me in your heart, I'm gonna still love you when you tell me these things I'm about to tell you, amen? amen. All right, so we're gonna talk about pursuing relationships out of my brand new identity. This isn't going to make sense unless you have a brand new identity. So Paul, to the church at Colossae, talks about several different kinds of relationships. So this is what he says. He says, wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Stop there for just a second. This verse was never meant to be read in and of itself by itself. It is meant to be read with the next verse that follows. You can't separate the two. It's a letter, and it's meant to be read together. So, so this is what it says. Wives, submit to your own husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Ephesians says, uh, love your wife in the same manner that Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. 
So don't separate those two things. They're meant to be, they're meant to be put together in a very harmonious and beautiful way. And just so you know, just listen to me very carefully. When I know what some of you are thinking out there are going, I, I know what some of the wives are thinking, but Dan, you don't know my husband. You're telling me to submit to him? I'm not saying anything to you. I'm just telling you what the Bible says. And the Bible says, wives, submit yourself to your husband. And husbands, love your wives in the same manner that Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. And when that works together in harmony, it is a beautiful relationship. If you look at what's happening in our culture, 50% of marriages end up in divorce because we violate the way God has designed us to live. So when these two verses come together in a very powerful way, then there's harmony inside of the marriage. And I'm just going to tell you right up front, I can't do this. I cannot love my wife the way Christ loves the church unless I'm living out a brand new identity. I just don't get up in the morning and say, I'm going to try really hard, but she's really hard to love. I don't say that, okay? It doesn't work. It doesn't work. It doesn't work for you to submit to your husband unless you're living out of a brand new identity. That's the point. The point is, is that when I'm living out of a brand new identity, when I understand my new identity, and out of that my behavior flows, this verse becomes a very natural thing for, to happen inside of my home. And then Paul goes on. He doesn't just stop with husbands and wives. He says, fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. Again, there's another, there is another dimension of this, and I can't do that unless I'm living out of my brand new identity. And then he says, and, and keep this in mind, this was written 2,000 years ago, and so this is a different culture and a different time. So we're going to insert different words here to make it make sense to our culture and our time. So bond servants, let's put workers there. Obey everything uh, those who are your earthly masters tell you to do. In other words, the point is, is that on your job, you're supposed to be submissive, uh, not with eye service as people-pleasing, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Again, I can't do that. I can't do that when I'm not living out of my brand new identity. When I cannot, I cannot focus on that because maybe you have a, maybe Shane, you have a, you have a boss as a jerk. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe that's true. Maybe that's true. But the reality is, is that I can't do any of these things outside of living out of a brand new identity in Jesus Christ. Now, why should I do all that? Why should I, why should I put on, cloak myself with this new identity? And why should I live the way that, Pastor Dan, you're telling me to live. Why should that behavior flow out of my life? And the answer is, is that God is very faithful and very meticulous in how he notices what you do. And he promises something to you and I that is miraculous. He promises us a reward. Watch this. Whatever you do, work heartily, ask for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you'll receive the inheritance as your reward. You see that phrase? You are serving the Lord Christ. So I want to drive this home in a way that's powerful and practical to you. So I'm going to tell you a story, a true story, that I came upon across this week. And there, there was a guy by the name of Joel. And Joel worked for Dairy Queen. And one day while he was on his job at Dairy Queen he noticed that there was a blind man that came into the store and in the process of time, the blind man uh, took out his wallet and took out some money but didn't realize that a $20 bill fell, fell out of his wallet, couldn't see it because he was blind. 
And so the lady standing in back of this blind man, you would think would have compassion and reach down and, and grab the $20 bill, true story, and give it back to him. But she thought, he's blind. He doesn't, he doesn't see the money. So she reaches down, picks up the $20 and puts it into her purse. Joel, the employee at Dairy Queen, saw this happen. And he came out from behind the counter and he went up to this lady and said, have compassion on him, please. Give the money. It's his money. Give it to him. And she refused. No, my, my money loses, you know, finders, keepers, losers, sweepers. You know, that's the way it is. I'm keeping the money. So Joel, the employee, got his own wallet out, took $20 out, walked up to the blind man and said, hey, sir, you dropped some money and here it is and gave this guy $20. Well, he went back to work, didn't think anything about it, but some of the other employees that were working that day at Dairy Queen noticed what had happened, and so they put it on Facebook. And I don't know if you know who owns a majority uh, share in Dairy Queen. This this really poor guy by the name of Warren Buffett. He saw the Facebook post about this young man, Joel. So he contacts Joel and says, listen, at the next investors meeting, I want you to come and I want you to be the special honored guest and sit with me at the table. So Joel was invited, went, sat with him. Could you imagine? He's just, he's just a clerk. He's just a guy that serves you your ice cream. Hopefully he doesn't you know, mess it up. And now he's sitting next to Warren Buffett. He's sitting next to Warren Buffett as a guest of honor at an investor's meeting, and his name is being praised for what he did. Pretty awesome, right? That Warren Buffett would do that for somebody, an employee. Now let's think about this. Let's think about this spiritually speaking. Let me just read the verse again just so that we have the context. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. You know that there's coming a time when there's this great feast in heaven. Did you know that? And the honored guests, the honored guests are those who obey Christ. It's called the marriage supper of the Lamb. You got to read about it sometime in the Bible. And God is going to mete out rewards. It's a beautiful time. And as one of his children, we have a seat at the table. Could you imagine having a seat at the table with Jesus, the King of Kings and Lord of Lords? Can you imagine what that moment is going to be like? I can't imagine what that moment is going to be like. But I can imagine knowing God the way I know Him, I can imagine that there's probably a seating chart. And those who obeyed Christ without any fanfare, without any public acknowledgement, without any need to be recognized, I imagine they're going to probably be seating the closest to Jesus. Can you imagine that? 
That's going to be an amazing day. Because God takes note of every act of obedience that you and I have. Every act of obedience that you and I have. He has, he has it written in his books. Every act of obedience that we've ever committed. And especially those that nobody else knew about. Just a silent obedience to Jesus. So having said that, we're right in the middle of an opportunity to have some silent obedience before God. Next week, we're going to, it's Commitment Sunday, and uh, you can come and between you and God, just between you and God, you can step up and do an act of obedience that God will take note of. I'm just saying, God will take note. You have the opportunity to serve the living Christ in a way that is serving the least of these, serving people that desperately need our help but have no resources for that help. We have the opportunity to do something special next weekend. And my prayer here today is that you and I will find our identity and out of our brand new identity, remember that's how it works, out of my brand new identity, I'll offer unto the Lord an offering that reflects the identity that I have in Christ. Now think about that again. Identity drives behavior. Let your offering reflect your identity and God will smile on you when you, when you act in that manner. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for this day and I pray, God, that your spirit will take my words today and use them for your honor and for your glory. I thank you, Lord, for just the privilege that we have to be together today. And I pray these things in Jesus' holy and powerful and awesome name. Amen.